chat with Nicholas. He'll listen to you. Then he'll laugh, and then he'll cry with you. It's all in a safe space for you to speak your truth. Oh, come and chat with Nick. Howdy, everyone. Super excited to have Colin Sandberg on the podcast today. Colin is a dynamic entrepreneur whose journey began at the tender age of 21 in his family business. From recognizing early financial challenges to becoming the CEO, Colin not only turned around his family business, but also ventured into multiple entrepreneurial avenues, scaling and buying businesses, investing in real estate, and even founding his own game-changing accounting firm. With a keen focus on helping small businesses master their finances, Colin's approach is quite unique. Think MBA, not CPA. He's a staunch believer in the power of networking. He's been instrumental in setting up mastermind groups, connecting with fellow entrepreneurs, and sharing his wealth of knowledge. So let's delve into this world of small business, finance, masterminds, and so much more with the insightful Colin Sandberg. So Colin, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Nicholas. I appreciate it. Colin, your book, Small Business Finance, from an MBA, not a CPA, is quite intriguing. Can you put a bit of light on the fundamental differences in your approach compared to traditional CPAs? And maybe for those who not, don't understand American terminology, what is a CPA? And how has your approach of use MBA thinking versus CPA thinking been a game changer for small businesses? Yeah, thanks. That's a, a fantastic question. So the the concept of a CPA is just a certified public accountant. It basically in the US is, you know, essentially means that you're a qualified person to prepare tax returns and do all of the things that we normally think of in tax accountants doing. And then an MBA obviously is a, a master of business administration. So it's a it's a business degree. And when we talk about MBAs, not CPAs, what I'm really saying is that you know, for my MBA background, I am, am wired around how do we make money? How do we make this company better? And making money even is kind of a loose term. Are we looking for more growth? Are we looking for profitability? Are we looking for more cash flow? Or are we looking to prepare the business uh, for an eventual exit? All of those are different ways you can make money in my book. And frankly, that's not what a CPA is wired around. You know, typically if you have an amazing year, and you've got a ton of profit, and a CPA, a really good CPA, will help you navigate the best way to save on taxes and keep as much of that money in your pocket instead of the government's. But they're not really in your business helping you make money. That's just not the way they're wired. So that's always been my part of business and, and what my, my friends, I know we'll talk about you know masterminds, but that's what my friends have relied on me for. And that's ultimately what I started my new business through, that lens of how are we going to make more money not just, you know, figure out on the back end how we're going to save a little bit on tax. Now, I've had firsthand experience dealing with exactly that mindset. I've worked in a couple of big advertising agencies in my life, and the ones that have been successful have not been those run by accountants, for example. So yes. gen generally, the person who goes into the finance role, that CPA role, sort of floats to the top and becomes the, the CEO because they are good at numbers. And they are not necessarily the right person to, as you said, take a business forward. They're there just to, they've got their fundamentals that they need to check, make sure we're not paying government too much money and make sure there's, we're paying our creditors or delaying creditor payments as long as possible. But an MBA 
mindset is about, as you said, growing the business and looking for, is, I, would, I would say they are more risk takers than risk averse as typical CPAs, right? And that's possibly the advantage that they have. Yeah, absolutely. Because by definition, if we're pursuing a strategy, let's say, you know, there's an element of risk involved. Now it should be calculated risk. It should be smart risk. But, you know, and again, we know not all CPAs are the same, right? Not all lawyers are the same. I mean, we know that we're, we're kind of doing some broad generalizing here. But in general, a CPA, to your point, is about, you know, they're about completely eliminating risk if possible. They're about making sure everything is done, you know, the perfect right way and not necessarily in a creative way. And the reality of what it takes to be successful in business is that it does take creativity. It does take, you know, assuming calculated risks. And so that's what we're doing. And, and the way I've always looked at, at providing, you know, support to my, my fellow entrepreneurs is I, I have to be, you know, supportive of what it's really going to take for you to succeed. I can't just tell you to crawl in a shell and, and, and hope that <laughs> the challenges of life go away. You know, you have to be uh, willing to go out there and go for it if you're really going to accomplish what you want. As I mentioned, I've had experience with a whole bunch of CPAs and MBA, MBA folks in, in my career as well. I've also started one or two businesses, and I wish I had a bit more knowledge about that difference between a CPA and a CPA mindset and an MBA mindset in terms of my, the people helping my business financially when I started out in my entrepreneurial journey. I had very good financial support and advice from my financial team, but they were risk averse. They didn't ask the questions of a business owner. They, didn't, as an, they weren't entrepreneurs themselves. They'd always been in corporate roles, and they didn't ask the right questions in terms of how do we get enough cash flow to survive the next six months if there's a black swan event? How do we deal? How do you tell a founder, no, you can't get more photocopying machines until you've got... X versus when people still worked in offices and needed photocopy machines and, and rows and rows of Apple Macs. So that difference in mindset for entrepreneurs versus the corporate environment is extremely important. Can you maybe talk to why having an entrepreneurial background helps you make better decisions for your other entrepreneurial friends or entrepreneurial clients? Yeah, I, I think you painted a really interesting contrast there. So you know, sometimes the MBA term can be thought of in purely a corporate environment. And to your point, you know, in depending on the size of the corporation, there are big corporate environments where they've got teams of hundreds of thousands of people potentially. And sometimes a, an entrepreneurial venture is five people and it's just five people, you know, hustling and getting it done. And when I went to business school, that was my exact experience. I was the one of only two or three people in a class of around 50 in the executive MBA program. And we all went through as a unit and there were 45 of the 50, let's say that were in corporate environments. They were working for AT&T or, you know, one of these big mega corporations. And so their experience in business was like, they had this, this view of a tiny slice of business. And the reality of small business is you're, you're going across all functions you know, I might be representing the finance voice when we're talking, but it's really the finance voice and how that applies to sales. It's how it impacts operations. And so it's not just purely this one kind of simple function. And that's really, to me, where strategy lies. Like finance is an important part of business, 
but it's more of what is the finance implication of if we need to write off inventory because we've discovered some of our inventory is bad. Well, there's an impact to the bank. There's an impact to the financials, the numbers that we're going to show potentially to investors. There's a tax impact. There's a lot of different elements that that would be impacted. And if I don't understand strategy and I'm just trying to give you the kind of classic CPA, you know, zero risk approach, I'm, I'm doing you a disservice as an entrepreneur because the decisions you're having to make uh, cut across all of those different areas. And so if I'm advising you or, or we're having a conversation about it, I'm not doing you any favors if I'm trying to act like only this one little element of that equation uh, is all that I can speak to or all that matters. Yeah, and I, I want to encourage folks who are entrepreneurs to, to take this conversation really seriously. I've lost basically hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars by making bad financial decisions or accounting decisions, not financial decisions, the decisions we made in terms of businesses, clients, et cetera, were the right ones. But our advice from our accountants was terrible. They did by the book. The book says that if you need to pay people by this date, you pay them by this date, you pay suppliers by this date. They didn't think as an entrepreneur, they didn't think about this is a person's livelihood. This is, you know, 20 people's jobs on the line. This needs you, we need to come up with innovative ways to solve this financial issue. Is it by getting loans? Is it by get what type of loans are available? What type of discussions can you have with the bank? Can you maybe sell part of the business? These are kind of discussions that with smaller entrepreneurs or small businesses, you don't know the right questions to ask. And I, and I think perhaps your book will go into this or your, your website, I think it's got 450 um, bits of information we, we can use. But anyway, I, I, I just want to encourage people to make sure you talk to somebody who has this MBA mindset because it could save your, your business during tough times. I want to go back a step quickly and I want to talk about your, your, your own struggles in business. Now, you've grown up in a family business and this acted as a catalyst for the journey where you are now. Can you share some specific instance or challenge that was a turning point for you in your understanding of business finance growing up in this industry? Yeah. So going, going way back over 20 years ago, you know, I got started in, in small business. I, I had a, a moment, it's kind of a different story, but I had a moment where I realized I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I looked around and, and I'm a big believer that almost all entrepreneurs, if not all have proximity to other entrepreneurs. In other words, they saw someone else do it up close and personal and it made them have the confidence to give it a try. And for me, I had come to that realization, this is the path that I wanted for my career and for my life. And I looked around and had a family member who had a business. And so no interest in owning that business, but I thought this is where I can go and see behind the curtain what this thing is really all about. Well, you know, as life works, 21 years later, I own that business uh, still to this day. That was my very first business. I still own it. But one of the things that I realized when I look behind the curtain was that the, the business was a mess. I mean, we had, I, I always kind of jokingly say, if there were 10 different things that could kill a company, we were doing like nine out of 10 of them. I mean, it was bad. We had you know, inventory that we couldn't use that had been you know, bought for a customer who stiffed us on the, the bill and never paid for it. And we ended up eventually having to scrap the inventory. We had you know, receivables outside of that that we couldn't collect 
we owed more in, in payables than we had in receivables. We didn't have enough money in the bank for the, the payroll. I mean, just on and on. It was just an absolute disaster on every front. And, you know, you asked about a turning point. For me, it was really, you know, I'm, I've always been kind of a math guy, but I'm not a trigonometry math guy. I'm like, I, I think about the core of like addition, subtraction, division. What does it mean? How does it apply? You know, thinking in terms of basic percentages and that sort of thing. And when I looked at the business as a young kid, didn't have an MBA yet at this point, you know, hadn't run a company before. And I'm looking at this business and I'm saying, this just doesn't make sense. We're, we're doing this volume of work that was one part of our business. So the business was a manufacturer for airport conveyor systems. So like when you go to the airport, you claim your luggage, uh, we would make those carousels. And so one part of the business made new carousels. And the other part of the business, which was kind of this leftover afterthought part of the business, was selling parts to people who already owned conveyors. And when I looked at it without, you know, being caught up in which one I liked or which part of the business I was, I identified with, I realized that the part that was doing new systems wasn't making any money. And this little bitty parts business was actually what was working. And it was a really hard conversation with the founder of the company, uh, the family member to, to, but it, and it took a year of just constantly harping on this fact that I could prove just using very simple math that one guy working in this one department was making more money than the dozen people who were on the rest of the uh, work. And, you know, that to me solidified my, my passion around good strategy is rooted in good math. And I could prove that it might be small, but this part of the business was working. And if we just could scale that and take away the part that was losing money, I could do, do the math and see where that story would end. And that's ultimately, once I took over the company, exactly what I did. You made a very interesting point there about it wasn't the cool part of the business. And I wonder how many businesses do that, where they focus on the shiny, the glitzy part of the business and neglect the poor cousin. And in this case, it's the, the past business. Have you come across that in other businesses or is this just something that you think is unique to your business? I mean, surely they could have seen that this part of the business is the one generating the revenue. Yeah, absolutely. I think to your point, that is one of the biggest things that a, a most entrepreneurs are kind of passion minded. They're really passionate about some element of what they're doing. And it could be I've seen some who are passionate about a certain product or, or service that they offer. I've sort of seen some who are passionate about identifying as a company who does X, Y, or Z. And, you know, sometimes they're just passionate about thinking this one thing has the most revenue. And that was the trap we were falling into. It was kind of a combination of those. But yes, I think that's true across many, many entrepreneurs. And if you don't have you know, a financial voice in your own head and you're not surrounding yourself with that financial voice, you're going to be guilty of that many times. I had the advantage of being an outsider. I do, I'm not a, the type of person who gets excited about baggage conveyors. That's not, that's not it for me. That's, you know, I'm not a handy person. I'm not the kind of guy who's working on his own car. You certainly don't want me to work on yours. And, you know, that, that allowed me to have an outsider's view that just said, Hey, the math is clear here. This, Yes, it's, it's sexy. It's got the revenue. It's, it seems good. It's kind of the big notoriety projects. But this little piece of business over here is where the value really is. And 
that was really why ultimately the founder left the company when I took over and made it a parts business because it was like the, his entire identity was trapped in this idea of this is what I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to offer the market. And so when it wasn't working, he didn't really have a fallback plan. And you mentioned it, it took a year. So that must have been quite a, a tough year of negotiations and, and discussions. But as you say, it's, it's often an outsider's look at your business that will give you perhaps what the real situation in your business is. You touched on masterminds or with networking, and I, I'm a big believer in networking. So you obviously discuss masterminds in your profile, but maybe talk to me a little bit about what, what is mastermind and how have these entrepreneurial friendships and these sessions influenced your business and your personal growth? And why should we do it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, to your point, you said you, you use the word networking and there's a lot of different terms that might apply. What I'm a huge believer of, and it doesn't matter what you're trying to accomplish in your life, this is not just for entrepreneurs, is surround yourself with a group of people who have similar goals and have your best interests at heart. It's really simple. And for me, in, in a small business context, that was mastermind groups, which I'm one of the, the great, you know, lucky moments or, or fortuitous moments in my career was that I was, I was very early on in my probably 23 years old, introduced to mastermind groups. And a mastermind, just in simple terms, is a group of entrepreneurs in this case who get together and there's some format for sharing what's going on in your business. And so in the, the first one that I went to, it was everyone did a quick update and then one person was on the hot seat and that person would talk about their business. And one of the things I love about entrepreneurship in general and being around other entrepreneurs is we're open. It's the good, the bad, the ugly. Like, hey, I'm proud of this. This worked. Man, this this sucked. This did not work. Or, hey, this is a disaster. Like, I've got a dumpster, dumpster fire over here and I'm, I'm really worried about it. And that willingness to share and being surrounded by people who, you know, have competence in their field, but also just care about you is a superpower in this life. And again, it doesn't matter what your goals are. I, I try and teach my kids to do that with their friend group. Where do you want to go? What do you want to accomplish? Surround yourself with people who want similar things and want you to succeed. And so that really changed my career. And it's actually this month, no, now last month, October, I, I started a mastermind group of my own 15 years ago now. And surrounding myself with a group of people who wanted to achieve big things in their companies. And, you know, it just, it allows for us to not only support each other when times are good or times are, are rough, but be really candid with each other and say like, hey, you know, exactly to your point, you're chasing the shiny object here. Like everything I'm hearing you saying is throwing out the good logic of does this make money or, you know, hey, you said you're not going to do this again. We had one where it was a product that I, we were supposed to be designing in the conveyor company. And I had one of my guys in my mastermind group say, hey, you said you were going to do this two years ago. Like, what's up with that? And within your company in a small business, it's very unlikely you're going to have an employee who feels emboldened and empowered to say that to you. But boy, a fellow business owner who knows you want the truth will rip that bandaid off and, and tell you exactly what they think. Yeah, I don't think you can overemphasize the importance of having that honest feedback because there's no financial benefit to any of these other folks in the, in the mastermind sessions to, to make you fail. 
And you talk about interesting that you talk about the emotional side of business because this is really opening yourself up to criticism, and especially as entrepreneurs. And you mentioned it with uh, one of your your family members. They were tied very; their personality was tied to the business. And a lot of us, it's like our baby. So anyone in mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, this is you know you're nurturing this child and you wanted to succeed, and nobody must tell you how to raise your child sometimes. So <laughs> very difficult to to make some of the hard decisions. But I think if it's if you know it's coming from a positive place and that they're trying to support you, that's a very useful resource. How easy do you think people find it opening up in these sessions? Is it in the first meeting that they just have these aha moments or does that trust take a little bit of time to, to build? I've found it is uh, different with every group and it really depends on if you're forming a new group or if you're coming into an existing group. But I will say a couple of things I've noticed through having multiple, now multiple mastermind groups that I'm a part of. Each group has its own dynamic. So some groups are more topics-based. In other words, they're talking about AI and they're talking about the new developments in the world, what it means where we're at in the economy, that sort of thing. And some groups are much more kind of in the you know heart of your business and what's working and what's not. But I think that one common thing I've seen across many, many business owners is the ones who have accepted that I have to be open to get what I want and, and I want other entrepreneurs, they have kind of that abundance mindset that we like to talk about as opposed to a fixed mindset. Abundance mindset says, hey, you know, you can succeed and I can succeed and we can both succeed even better because we're in each other's lives, not we're fighting over this kind of fixed pie. And so I think that with like groups that I have, we have a pretty good kinship because the minute you're willing to share and be open and be a little bit vulnerable, and then you see everybody wants good things for you, it makes a great camaraderie. And then somebody new coming into the group kind of senses it. They feel that camaraderie. And so it's very quick for them to, you know, adapt to that and, and get on board with it. And they see the other members of the team kind of helping the new guy, you know, like, hey, how do we, how do we get you caught up to where we're at and not feeling like an outsider in our meeting? You said you started your first or joined your first mastermind 15 years ago. Talk to me about how you dealt with these sessions during COVID and were there any, what support did you guys give each other during COVID and were there any sort of breakthrough moments for businesses that came out of these mastermind sessions? I know there's 10 questions in there. So just go back to during COVID, how did you manage to swap the process of how you held these sessions and did anything exciting come out of them during COVID? Yeah, that, that's a great one. So, you know, very similar to many uh, types of, of work, we, we very quickly went to online meetings. We were meeting by Zoom as opposed to in person. I've got, I've got actually an interesting mix. I've got one mastermind group in particular that's kind of an international mastermind group. That one we were on Zoom from the beginning. Um, but I also have one here locally here in Fort Worth. And so the one here, we basically went to an online format and one of the members said, guys, the world is changing. This is happening fast. This is like, you know, we need to be supporting each other on a more than once a month, which is the cadence we normally meet on. And so he proposed, let's get together every, every week. And so we did that. And what was great is, you know, just like all of us at that time struggling with kind of the isolation and the different uh, psychological things we were going through in addition to business and family and all of that, 
you know, there were times where we just kind of were on the call and we're getting some other stuff done. We're doing some other work, but we're just chatting and having that banter and kind of feeling like we're in a, in the room together. And so that was, that was absolutely huge. And I would say one of the things that probably a, a somewhat of a defining moment in my career for me was when in the States we came out with the PPP, which is the, the paycheck protection program is basically a government program intended to help uh, small business owners keep people on payroll. And that was, you know, the U.S. government, not shockingly, is not a, exactly a fast moving, really clear communicating organization when it's trying to do something innovative. And that was a really, it, it felt like the stakes were so high across all the businesses that I was connected with. And, and yet here was something that we all needed. Here was something that we were all going to depend on. And there was a total lack of clarity and it was financial in nature. So it was kind of in my wheelhouse of things that I was already comfortable with and that I already connected with other entrepreneurs and they depended on me for, and it was fast moving. It was just going to happen. And all of a sudden, you know, and, and, and they were talking about how the money would run out. And so if you're not in the front of the line, if you don't know how to get in line, you're going to get left out. And that was something we talked a lot about through those uh, mastermind groups was what is everybody hearing? What is your banker saying? What's happening? And I remember that the night before it was supposed to go live at like 9 a.m. in the U.S., it was they, they published the guidance. The U.S. government finally published the guidance saying like, here's what this actually is. Here's what it actually means. Can you either get credit for 1099 contractors or you can't? And when that was happening, I remember I downloaded that thing and I literally read it at 11 o'clock at night not just for my business. I already felt like I had a handle on it, but it was to be able to help my fellow entrepreneurs. And I think if it weren't for mastermind groups, I probably wouldn't have that investment in supporting them in that same way. And like I said, that became kind of career defining because that was part of the idea behind starting my new business to provide this as a service, helping other business owners from the position of a business owner myself, not a CPA, not just somebody who's a, a service provider and wants to just cash in on you, but I know what it's like to go through this myself. I think that support element that you're talking about with the group is something that's neglected and a lot of entrepreneurs feel very alone. It, it is difficult on top of the mountain or running this, this race alone. And by having other people going through, the, through similar challenges or who've already gone through those challenges and are able to share their, their ideas and what not to do, is, is a super important survival guide tool for, for lots of entrepreneurs. So I'd encourage folks, obviously, to, to look at that. Your firm. So let's go. You, you spoke about this life-defining change after COVID, which I think happened to a lot of folks. You have quite a unique approach, obviously, which is how you're differentiating yourself in the market. And you, in your playbook, you've got over 450 best practices. Can you share one or two of these best practices that you think that every small business owner should do immediately if they haven't already done it? Yeah. So one of the first ones I like to start with is, you know, what I call a simple profitability formula. And you said the word best practices to be clear, you know, we don't have 450 unique things that I've invented. That's not the idea here. The idea is there's a lot of really smart people and it's kind of that, you know, standing on the shoulder of giants concept. You know, we're not trying to reinvent small business finance. We're trying to pool all the best ideas, all the best resources, and hopefully we'll continue to get feedback even from clients on things we could do better, right? 
But I, I would say the first one I would start with is the simple profitability formula. So in my mind, what that has to do with is basically understanding in a percentage format. And to me, every business, obviously a lot of different businesses, a lot of different industries, but there's really four or five common components that you can break every business down to. And so to me, it's defining those in a percentage format so that you understand which ones are tied, which ones are kind of fixed and which ones are variable. In other words, if I get if I double my revenue, my rent doesn't go up. But if I double my revenue, my, my labor costs likely will, right? And so it's kind of like the interplay between what's variable and what's fixed. And so it's really breaking down every business into, you know, what are your outside costs to vendors? That's your first type of cost. And then labor, independent from other overhead. But what is my labor cost as a percentage of revenue? And then what are my fixed costs as a percentage of revenue? And so as I can see those, all of those individual components, it allows me to kind of do what if scenarios. Like what if my revenue cut in half? What if it doubled? What if it quadrupled? Like what would be the impact? And for non-math or non-finance business owners, you know, they don't necessarily think that way. And I think that that helps expose that, that certain parts of your business may not be scalable the way you thought they were. You know, the, the, the goal of any tool or, or diagnostic is to, to ask, well, what would it take? What would it take to make this change? What would it take for me to make my, my labor more scalable? And so that's, that's the first one I recommend basically to every business owner. And I, I like to say, you should understand how you make money on the back of a napkin. In other words, you should be able to be sitting at a bar where we're, you know, we're having a beer and you pull out a napkin and I can, with a pen, just say, here's exactly how I make money. And it's this percent goes to vendors. This percent, you know, is currently going to labor. Here's my overhead. As I scale up, here's what's going to happen to each of these different components. And therefore, I'm going to have this opportunity uh, to make this amount of money. You talk about these as sort of common sense or basic things. So you'd think that a lot of entrepreneurs are really smart and they've maybe started quite successful businesses. But I'd be surprised how many of them don't know the, these ratios that you've spoken about. And I'll, I'll just say that I'm one of them. <laughs> And I, you know, I need to get my act together as well. And, in, and when my business was running extremely successfully, we were just making so much money. It didn't really matter where the money was coming from. It just, but when those faucets stopped, then you realize, ooh, I really should have figured this out before. Where are we generating our cash? So I guess we could encourage young entrepreneurs or people who are starting out rather, and it's very easy to do these. They can download your uh, these best practices or, or schedule a call with you and, and, and get a couple of these pointers to start with. But start it in the beginning of your business as almost like not a mantra, but as just part of your rhythm. Every week you make sure that you know what those numbers are or at least once a month. And as you grow, you can add more and more of these metrics that will help you understand your business more. So it's, <laughs> I don't know why this. <laughs> there it is. Screen, I think anyway. So I think really important, it's some basic things that MBA or CPAs and that, they sometimes, I think, come with maybe too many complex versions of these that aren't useful for entrepreneurs. So it's really not dumbing down accounting, but making it practical accounting mm -hmm. for, for entrepreneurs that they, as you said, on the back of a napkin can, can explain to a potential investor or explain to the bank how their business is running. Is there another nice example that you can maybe think of? Yeah, I, I would say the other one that always stands out to me, and I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with it lately, is around pricing. 
So, you know, one of the, the common features, especially in a new entrepreneur is this is number one, what I think we were doing in my first business, which is trying to be everything to everyone, right? It's like, if, if I could sell it and my customer or client's willing to buy it, uh, then I've got to sell it, right? So part of the way you get out of that trap is to really recognize the power of pricing. And I would say that you have to have enough demand to be able to generate the pricing that you want. But the, the beauty of pricing, if you think about it, is that if, if I'm looking at my, my existing costs, my labor costs, my vendor costs, uh, my rent, et cetera, all of those things stay the same if I double my price. Again, I'm not doubling the number of units that I'm selling or the you know, amount of the services. I'm just doubling my price. And if you look at it that way, then you realize that basically any increase to price drops straight to the bottom line. It immediately becomes profit. Well, what is a profitable company able to do that a company that's barely eking by not able to do? They're able to reinvest in their team. They're able to reinvest in resources. They're able to develop things, whether it's uh, equipment or better processes that will make every future dollar more profitable. So if price is the best way to drop to the bottom line and dropping to the bottom line is the gateway to all of the other things I just said, you realize like it's not a question of, should I increase price? It's what would it require for me to be able to increase price? And when you start thinking in those terms, you really unlock different opportunities that otherwise you may not see. And so I, I always advise price is one of the first. Everybody thinks I want to be on the low end of kind of the middle range for pricing because the low end is easier to sell. Well, it may be, but it's also a lot harder to live with, right? And so I would rather have that challenge on the front end and ask, what would it take for me to be a premium price? And so it probably comes down to, you've got to be a better solution. And so now you're asking the right questions. Yeah, well, that's the difficult part, isn't it? I mean, when it comes to, to pricing, it's, it's quite a science and an art because getting that, getting that pricing right, the way that you can solve that is by having good ratios and by understanding the fundamentals of the business. But then there's the additional side, which is the art side, which is, okay, how, you know, how far can we stretch that, that pricing from a perception perspective in the potential customer's mind? Do, do we offer great, better service? Do we offer frills and, and benefits in that that nobody else does? Or are we, do they just like us more than other, other folks? So pricing is always a, a very complicated issue. And I think if you're solving 50% of that problem in terms of understanding the fundamentals of the business. So definitely an important factor to to look at uh, since you're in the accounting field business intelligence obviously is a is an important part of what you do are there any particular programs that you use there's anaplan there's jedox there's sage there's a whole bunch what, what is your preferred sort of vendor for your accounting program and then perhaps adding value to it in terms of playing with the numbers yeah, so we are predominantly helping small businesses that are using QuickBooks online. So it's the most common. It's not to say that's the only thing that's out there. Obviously, there are better options if we're talking about, you know, the actual like accounting muscle. But the reality is most of the the clients that we're helping, a lot of marketing firms, companies like that that are are more digital by nature, they're not requiring some big extensive ERP complex system, right? I think you, you touched on it a minute ago is the real key is how simple can we make things? And then that allows us to focus energy back on getting better, right? 
So I, I like to say that a lot of what we're solving for clients is not some sort of a, a magic bullet situation. There's not if it's some idea that if I explained it to you, you would suddenly know it and then the, all the problems are solved. The reality is it's kind of a, it's a day-to-day, week-to-week grind to get better, to evaluate pricing and stay on top of features that are out there and, and that sort of thing like we were talking about. And so the system we like to use is, is just QuickBooks Online. It's really simple, um, easier for our clients to engage with. But the real key is we're, we're currently in development building our, our own dashboard. And the dashboard is to do exactly what you described. It's to give very immediate feedback to our clients. And we have a very simplified across all elements of business. Here's 20 things for you to look at. And you get a score of one through five. So obviously the perfect score, 20 times five is 100. And in reality, most businesses are in the 60s or maybe the 70s. And that's still a really good business. But the beauty of having what we call the FIN score is that it allows you to see where are the gaps, where are the opportunities for you to get better. And then our playbook, you mentioned it has over 450 plays in it. And the playbook is really, okay, we know where you're at with the FIN score. Now we know the next play that's going to help drive that area of your business, help move the needle. And so if it's pricing, for example, well, we have a playbook around price. If, if it's about your cost of goods are too high, we have a playbook, right? It's, but it's, it's not sexy things. We talked about that before. It's nitty gritty. We got to negotiate with the vendors. We got to figure out, you know, how to get more suppliers. I mean, it's, it's a lot of things that we can do to support you to really help drive the area of the business that has the most opportunity. Since this is a predominantly entrepreneurship, digital marketing, and social media podcast, I'm going to have to talk to you a little, a little bit about digital marketing. And podcasts obviously are one way that you're getting your, getting you out there. But I'd like to maybe ask, what has been the most sex, successful new business generator for you? Has it been your playbooks? And was it being podcasts? Is it your personal interaction with folks? What, how do you as a, a small or medium-sized business get yourself out there without a huge marketing department? Yeah, I think you touched on a couple different avenues, but the, I would say the number one is probably the, the network, right? Is if you invest over a long period of time and in, in connections with people and you know, we know that AI is happening. We know there's a lot of interesting technology in the world, but in reality, we want to do business with other humans. And so if you connect with another human and you believe that they've got your best interest, they know what they're doing, then you really connect. And that, that's how people invest in the partnerships, like working with a company like us. So all of the other things are to create the opportunity to have that conversation. And the way I'm a big believer, again, in that abundance mindset, so I take calls with people all the time who aren't necessarily in the market for our services. It's just another entrepreneur. How can I add value, right? Let's get on the phone. Let's talk for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And I'll give you every idea I can come up with, uh, every suggestion. I'll keep it as real and honest with you as I possibly can. That's, to me, that's just part of being an entrepreneur and, and wanting entrepreneurship to succeed for everybody. I think it's such a great mindset to have that sort of give, that giving mindset as well, because I've I found with all of my content, whether it's brand strategy work, social media design, etc. If anyone asks, here, take all of my ideas. I share my ideas far and wide as much as I can, because it's very very difficult to replicate my ideas in real life. The second thing is that if I've written it down or I've said it, 
there are 1,000 other people who have had that idea and are already mm -hmm. selling it or doing something with it. So I think people get very precious about ideas and concepts. And sharing, it, sharing with it shows to people that you know what you're talking about, they, you are open to discussions, and you are knowledgeable about that particular subject. So again, I would, based on this chat with you as well, anyone else listening to this, don't be shy to get your ideas out there and share what you know. Don't think, think of it as a, as a precious little nugget that only you know. It's your precious, like Gollum in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so I think that, that's quite cool. I want to just ask a last question for you, which is what about you is something that would surprise people meeting you for the first time? Well, that's a good one. I would say that you surprised me with a question. So there you go. You know, I would say that I'm a pretty, I can sometimes be intense, intentional type of person. So I'm, I'm passionate about where I'm trying to go. I'm, I'm far enough along in my career that I've got a confidence about what I'm, what I'm all about and who I am and who I'm not. I mean, you kind of touched on that. And one thing that's interesting is, so I, I came from a, an interesting background. I barely graduated high school. I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I had kind of the perfect backstory to become an entrepreneur. And I don't know the chicken or the egg. I don't know whether that's the entrepreneurs go through that path because they've kind of ruined most other opportunities for themselves or if that's who they were always destined to be. But yeah, I, I barely graduated high school and it was just because I didn't care. I was just absolutely disengaged. All of the passion and the excitement I have toward my career and, and my family and the things that I do now, I had none of that. And so I, I lost out on the opportunity to go to college, which I was really passionate about. My dad has a, uh, had a PhD. My mom has uh, her master's. I came from a very educated family and yet I, didn't, I wasn't on track to go to college. And that was kind of part of my entrepreneur story was feeling like I've got to bootstrap my own life from where I'm at, you know, and I was, I kind of always joke that in high school, I, I majored in troublemaking, you know, I was, I was a knucklehead. I was immature. I was getting into trouble and I just didn't care. And so, and I kind of felt like life was happening to me. And one of the things that I love about entrepreneurship is once you kick it into gear and realize life is something you can make happen, it just changes your life. And, you know, I know it certainly did for me. And that's exactly what I teach my kids. I don't tell my kids to be entrepreneurs. I tell my kids to, you know, take life by the horns and you guide it where you want it to go. And it, then there's no wrong answer. It's just your answer. Well, that's a super inspirational story. And obviously you like being kicked in the nuts the whole time because you've gone into <laughs> entrepreneurship. So you're a troublemaker. You know, other people can cause, can cause trouble for you. So you've definitely chosen the hard, the hard and difficult path. I'd like to recommend that people who are listening to this reflect on their own business. Think about what areas of your business you could probably get a second eye on that you may be too, too close to and share your challenges and your thoughts with other people in a safe group like you mentioned. Because it's not just to everyone on the internet, oh, my business is suffering at the moment, so putting it onto LinkedIn. No, that's, that's not the right approach. You've got to be within a trusted community where you understand what the boundaries are and that you're all aiming towards the same thing. And that's where the mastermind, I think, comes in. I definitely recommend folks have a look at that. I always try and end with how people can get in touch with you. So what is the best way for us to get in for somebody who's interested in learning more or getting some of those great 450 tips on accounting tips? 
Yeah, absolutely. So reach out to us, like you said, through our website, which is www.finelevate.com or look me up on LinkedIn. And I'm genuine when I say it. If, if there's somebody out there that we can help that just needs a conversation, you know, it does not, not everyone in my life has to be someone that I'm selling to. It's part of what I love about what we're doing is I just love being around other entrepreneurs and talking to them. We're all on this journey. No one's as far as we want to get to, but we're all ahead of where we started. And so it doesn't matter where you are on that journey. We should all be helping each other along the way. So yeah, if there's anybody we can help and, and that they're interested in talking, reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn, just Colin Sandberg on LinkedIn. And uh, let's connect. Well, Colin, that's super cool of you. And I guess talking about free calls, I guess that means I don't have to pay you the $10,000 fee for this podcast then. So you're the man. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's been awesome and inspiring listening to you. And I hope folks take some really good lessons out of this in terms of how to avoid silly mistakes in, in the entrepreneurial journey. And keep in mind that MBA versus CPA mindset when looking at their accounts and finance and their business. Thanks again, Colin. Thanks for having me on. Mm, come chat with Nicholas. He'll listen to you. Then he'll laugh and then he'll cry with you. It's all in a safe space for you to speak your truth. Oh.